Hello, hi everyone. How are you guys? Good. Did you have a nice day? Good. All right. Well, for those of you who are new, which is most of us since we've only been here a little over a month, uh, my name is Brian. That was my brother Michael that was playing the guitar and leading us in worship. And um, this is Church on the Beach. So we're glad that you're here. And uh, we're, uh, we're really thankful for the opportunity to gather in a public place, on a public beach, to serve the Lord, to worship the Lord, and to study His Word together. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And for the first couple of weeks, I just kind of talked about what our church is all about and what we're trying to do. We're actually um, starting a church, planning a church in West Bradenton. And uh, we eventually want to have Sunday morning services and all the rest. But for now, we're very happy to just meet on the beach on Thursday evenings, welcoming anybody who wants to come out and hang out with us and uh, study the Bible together like we do. And uh, so I talked about some of the different uh, priorities we have as a church. And then I said one of those priorities is teaching through the Bible. We, we like to teach expositionally. And so we teach through the Bible, verse by verse. And so we're starting in Colossians. We started last week in Colossians chapter 1. Should I go? go, no, go to sorry. <laughs> I've got the front row seats here. Splash zone. Bye, Lucy. <laughs> All right, and we started last week in Colossians. So the reason why we study the Bible is because we believe we believe that the Bible is God's Word. We believe the Bible is literally breathed out by God, that God used people like Paul and Moses and the others to write the words that He wanted written down. So just as God would speak to you, that's what we, when we read the Scriptures, we believe it's spoken by God. And because it's, it's spoken by God, because it's God's Word, that means... If God is the authority and the one who created us, then His Word is our authority in life. So if we're going to be a church, we want to make sure that our lives and our church lines up with the Bible. And so one of the reasons why we teach through the Bible, through books of the Bible, is because this is God's Word to us, and we want to pattern our lives and our church after what God says. And so here we are in Colossians, which is a great book of the Bible. It's very practical, but it's not only practical, it's also spiritual in the sense that God tells us the things we need in advance in order to live a, a practical life. You know, and I think a lot of you guys know this. I don't know all of you, but I'm assuming if you're coming out on Thursday night to a Bible study, you're probably, uh, if you're taking time out of your vacation or driving from Lakewood Ranch or wherever you're from, you're probably a Christian already, okay? So I'm just going to assume that. I'm not going to think that about everyone maybe, but I'm going to say, you know, as Christians... As you're here tonight, as we're here tonight, we want to learn not just another religion on how we should be good and stop being bad. What we need more than anything is a way for us to be empowered to do what is right and to avoid doing what is wrong. So the Bible, and especially Colossians, is much more than just a set of rules to follow. It's actually telling us the way that we can actually do the, the, the rules in the first place. And that's the big difference, and that difference is called grace, and we'll get there in just a second. All right, chapter 1, verse 6. 
Let me just introduce this a little bit uh, for those who weren't here last week. Colossians is, was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was in prison. He was in prison writing this. He wrote a couple of others, too, a couple of other letters to churches, too. And as he was in prison, he was writing these things. The Lord was leading him to write these things, inspiring him to do so. And he was writing to these churches that had started, kind of like our church is starting up. He would write a letter, which was why we're studying it, from the Lord and telling that new church how to live and how to be empowered by grace and also errors to avoid. That's what Colossians is kind of dealing with, errors to avoid too. And you guys probably know this, but in the church world, there's actually a lot of errors today too. For the last 2,000 years, it's been kind of a battle within the church even of true teaching and false teaching. There's a, there's a lot of conflict. It's been so since the beginning. So a lot of the New Testament was written to correct our thinking when it comes to God. And so I ask you this question. When it comes to thinking about God, what is it that's going to influence our thinking about God? Is it going to be the philosophies of the world, the teachings of the world, or is it going to be the Word of God itself, the Word of God? So that's what he's doing here in Colossians. He's writing to this wonderful church. He'd never visited them before, but actually, believe it or not, their pastor, his name was, I always forget his name, Epaphras, he's there in verse 7, we'll read him. He was actually in prison with Paul. So this church was having a little bit of a tough time. You know, I've been talking with some of you. This, Saturday, this Sunday, my daughter's getting married, and family's in town, and a lot's going on, and I, you know, kind of I've got a lot on my mind, and I'm mentally pulled to and fro. But uh, it's nothing compared to this church when their pastor was in prison, and the Apostle Paul was in prison, and they're dealing with false teachers and how to live Christian lives. My problems don't seem that bad. In fact, mine aren't even problems. So he's writing to them, and, and, it, and their guy, their guy Epaphras, was with him in prison. And he basically introduced himself. Last week we read it from verse 1 to 5. And then he talks about the gospel in verse 5. That word gospel, it literally just means good news. It's the good news about Jesus. So he says, The good news about Jesus has come to you, Colossian church, it's also spreading throughout all the world, all the known world. Man, he I think he would have tripped out today, probably is right now in heaven, tripping out at the billion, literally billions of people who have heard the gospel and believed in Jesus Christ from the early beginnings like this. But he says the gospel came to you, verse 5. Uh, it actually, he actually calls it the word of the truth of the gospel. The word of the truth of the gospel. It has come to you, this is verse 6. As it has also in all the world, it's bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. Please notice, the gospel of truth is connected to the grace of God and truth. It's going to be important in a second. I'll, I'll point out why. Verse 7, And you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. This first little part is about gospel truth. The good news of Jesus being spread into the world has come into their church. They received the, the word of the truth of the gospel of God's grace. Today, we as a church and whoever we share the message with, we want people to receive 
the gospel of the grace of God in truth, which is in Jesus Christ. We're going to see in just a minute. Here's something about the truth of the gospel. I know we're on the beach, so no, no one's really taking notes right here, but you're taking the mental notes. I don't even have my notes. I just have my Bible. I normally teach with notes. I, I'm usually much better. I'm really good most of the time. <laughs> That's my wife. She said it's true. That's it. She verifies this. <laughs> but I like to keep things organized when I'm studying just to remember these things. What is it about the gospel, the gospel of truth? And this is all from the passage. I'm not making these things up out of the air. This is from what we just read. Number one, the gospel of truth produces fruit. Didn't you read that? It said it's bringing forth fruit in verse 6. Now what does that mean? Okay, we know what fruit is. What kind of fruit do we have in Florida? Like oranges and pineapples? What else? Coconuts. Coconuts, okay. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, we know what fruit is. What's he talking about? It's not, a, it's not like he's saying you guys are great because you go down to the farmer's market and you got your fruit and you're selling it. You know, it's, it, he's not talking about that. He's talking about Christian fruit. And some of you probably already thought right now, when you t thought about what is Christian fruit, you thought of probably the fruit of the Spirit, which starts with love and joy and all the peace and the rest. So what he's saying is, but it's, it's more than the fruit of the Spirit. He's basically saying, when the gospel of truth comes into your life and into your church, your life and your church will change and will start to produce fruit that wasn't there before. So I, I could be a person who's a good person, morally speaking, before a Christian. I could, you know, do some good things and help the poor and all the rest. But there's something that happens when you receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. When God comes into your life, you produce a kind of fruit that can only be produced through the gospel, through Christ. It is something that cannot be manufactured. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. There's a big difference between an orchard that grows fruit and a factory that produces machinery or whatever. You can't, cre you can't make a banana. <laughs> you know, and I, 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 it's, I always think of this. I always think of one time I went to this person's house and they had a bowl of fruit on the table. Was it your house? This is my mother-in-law, ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful. It wasn't. I'm about to say something bad about it, so I hope it wasn't at your house. Okay. Oh, boy. Let's move on. Verse 7. No, I'm just kidding. No, it was that. It's one of those bowls of fruit that would look, it looked like real fruit, but it was fake, like the, the wooden kind. Did you have one of those? I did. Oh, she did, yeah. All right. With every head bowed and eye closed, raise your hand if you had a, <laughs> if you had a bowl of wooden fruit. But it was really like high-end stuff because it looked like real fruit. You know what used to annoy me was going in and looking at it and thinking, oh, that looks like good fruit. Because the better it is, quality is, the better, more it looks like real fruit. But don't, I never bit into it. And that would have been a bad idea. Because someone made that. Someone manufactured that. But there's no way. It's just like the spiritual fruit. There's no way, no matter how hard you try or how many principles you apply or how many self-helps you go to, there's no way to make manufacture the Christian fruit in your life. It comes by the Holy Spirit. And that's through hearing the gospel, the gospel of truth. So how do you know if it's the gospel of truth? How do you know if you're a Christian? That's a better question. 
Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. What is spiritually being produced in their life? Are you a loving person or not? Are you a joyful person? I'm not saying are you like that all the time because none of us are. <laughs> okay, I was in a bad mood earlier today and if you would have seen me, you would have said, that's not a joyful Christian. Where's the fruit, Pastor? But I'm saying overall, there's differences. I've noticed differences in my life. I'm more joyful than I used to be. I'm more loving. I'm more merciful. I care about others more. These are the fruits of the life. Number one, it produces fruit, verse 6. Number two, the gospel of truth is all about grace, verse 6. Let me tell you guys something. This, this error that the Apostle Paul was combating, first and foremost, was an error of legalism. What does legalism mean? Legalism means that someone came in, false teachers came into the Colossian church and said, you need to believe in Jesus to be saved. It's by grace that you're saved. But in order to be truly saved, you also have to do, and then they would give a list of rules to do. So they said you had to keep the law of Moses. You had to be circumcised. You had to do the dietary restrictions. If you ate pork, no way you're a Christian. Things like that. And so they came in with this list of rules and regulations that they said, Yes, God has grace, but in order to get the grace, you have to be a good boy or a good girl. You can't mess up. You've got to go to church a certain amount of times. You've got to pray a certain amount of hours. You've got to memorize a certain amount of verses, whatever it was. <laughs> and he's coming in to say, no, the, the true gospel is the gospel of grace. You know what that means? That you and I have done nothing nor can do nothing to deserve the salvation and the life that we've been given, the joy and the peace and the love. You can't earn it. You could never deserve it. In fact, it's actually, believe it or not, offensive to God to believe that we add something to our own salvation or to our own life of joy and peace and love. It's offensive to Him. And it's also something He doesn't want us to think about when we do... Now, I'm not talking probably to many of you. I don't know all of you, but... If you ever mess up in your Christian walk, maybe I'm talking to you, and then you start to, it's the other side, because when you're doing good, you're like, God, watch me. Look at what I'm contributing. Aren't you glad you have, you know, Pastor Brian Kelly on your team? And uh, so that's the one side. Then the other side is when you're, you mess up, and you just feel so horrible, and you think, God, you can never love me. You could never forgive me. I've done it a million times. That thing you've done. <laughs> and that's the other side of it because God's saying right there, no, it's all about grace. It's not about what you're doing. It's the gospel of grace. That's the gospel of truth. And anything, any teaching that comes in and says grace plus works is how you earn God's favor or God's salvation, that's false teaching. That is false teaching. doesn't matter how pious it may be present itself and that's what he said it's the bringing forth the fruit since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth here's another thing remember I talked about that fruit that grows instead of the machinery that manufactures you'll never have fruit produced or grown in your life if you do not experience the grace of God in your life I said that last week because at the beginning he said uh, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said, 
You can never get the peace of God unless you first experience the grace of God, right? What is peace? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Any religion, any Christianity that emphasizes works-based righteousness, fancy word that means doing our best, thinking it earns God's favor, will not produce the fruit in our life. There has to be grace. Number three. I just have one more after this. You would think that a guy who doesn't have notes would preach shorter than a guy who, who does have notes. Right? That's what you would think, but you would be wrong. Be absolutely... Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm very good. I stick to my notes when I have them. And I'm, I'm like, okay, I know, I know the time. And then, but you, see, I just have an open... It's open-ended right here. It goes to Revelation, then it goes back to Genesis. It just loops. Dang. But one more thing. I actually, I cheated. I wrote a few little notes at the bottom of the page. <laughs> uh, the gospel of truth produces fruit, number one. Number two, it's a gospel of grace. These all connect together. Number three, he's saying you receive the gospel of truth, and this is a gospel all about love. I'm going to talk about love every week because I'm, I've been convinced, I've been part of, I've been in uh, ministry like positions in probably six churches. And the, the more I've been a pastor for, how old am I? 43? Dang. 20 years. Someone ordained me to be a pastor when I was 23. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that first couple of years, that's, I don't know about that. But as going through different churches and ministry and being missionaries in different parts of the world, I have come to believe more and more and more as I walk with the Lord and as I do ministry and, and get to know people that Christianity, the gospel, who Jesus is, who God is, it really comes down to the essentials and that is love. So when I went to Bible college 23 years ago, and you would have said to me, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? I would have quoted the words of Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is likened to it, and that is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets, all of the scriptures, the Old Testament. When Jesus came, they wrote about him. John especially wrote about him. And he said himself, it's a new commandment that we've been given. So immediately in your mind you think, is this going to be a different commandment? Not at all. He said a new commandment which is true in Him, Christ, and that is you should love God and love one another. That's not new at all. It's been around since the very beginning. What He meant was this. It's new because now because of Jesus and His grace, you can actually do what the commandment says to do. Guess what? Read the, read the Old Testament sometime. That the Lord said... Where, how am I, I going to start this? I'm trying to keep this short. He said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That was the sum of the whole law. And the people of God, the Israelites, said, 
Everything you said to us, we will do. I have no doubt their commitment was 100%, 110%. Their heart was in the right place. They wanted to do the right thing. Guess what happened? It's like Moses went up to the mountain to receive the literal commandments. What happened when he came back down? Golden calf. <laughs> I always think of that picture like he hears the bass before he gets down there. They're partying with the golden calf. What the heck? I'll leave you for one. You said you were going to love the Lord. You said you were going to love one another. Now you're worshiping idols over and over and over. Did you, have you ever read the Old Testament and you think, man, these guys, what's wrong with them? Guess what? We are them. What's wrong with us? I'll tell you what's wrong with us. Sinners, every one of us. Sorry, guys. I know you came for a motivational speech on the beach. You're a sinner. Why am I smiling? Because I know this. I know that because of Jesus, even though I'm a sinner, an absolute failure when it comes to loving God and loving one another. I know that because of His grace and His Spirit at work in my life, miraculously, I am now able to love one another and love God. Wow. And uh, it surprises me sometimes. I say, that must be the Lord. <laughs> Verse 8 says that uh, declared to us your love in the Spirit. So what does the gospel of truth produce? It produces fruit. It's the gospel of grace. And Paul says you've received this gospel of truth, and that's why you love one another. But he, uh, there's a little bit of a secret there, too, in the Spirit. In the Spirit, number four. The gospel of grace is only possible to be lived in the Spirit. I've been talking about this the whole time, through, woven throughout the passage, that we can only do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. I like to read books, maybe uh, Christian books and all the rest, but there's no amount of books you can read that can help you be a loving, or that can make you truly loving. It has to be the Holy Spirit. Books can help. That's what I think. But they can never, they can never do the work. It's like a car. You put, the, you put the motor in. You put the gas in. That does the work. You know, taking it to the car wash can help, you know. Put in the spoiler on the back, the big mufflers. You guys like that stuff? <laughs> Everybody's shaking their head. Don't you think the guys that race through the neighborhood at 2 in the morning are cool that do the muffler? They think they're cool, though. Or should I say we do? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of these things can help, but I'm telling you, the love of God is in the grace, the gospel of the grace, the truth of the gospel of grace can only be lived out as we walk in the Spirit. That's why the Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a lot. We just did uh, six, seven, eight, three verses. And that's, that's it for tonight. All right? You're going to have to come back next week if you're not in uh, Philadelphia or Minnesota or Kansas or Oklahoma. We'll be back here next week.